Um, all right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Lewis and Lucas podcast. I'm half your podcast, Lucas. With me as always is Lewis. How are you doing today, Lewis? I am doing great. Looking forward to the discussion today. Absolutely. Um, there's, I, it's interesting, all of the different people that we meet on Twitter. Um, we talked last week a little bit about Flat Earth Twitter. Another echelon of Twitter, I'm not sure if you're aware of, Lewis, is the, um, the uh, Confederate Apologist Twitter. Uh, are you familiar with that part at all? Um, kind of, maybe, I don't know. No, I guess I'm not. <laughs> well, just so you're aware, Abraham Lincoln is, is worse than Mao. So, oh, okay. All right. Got it. But, <laughs> um, Twitter, you can find all kinds of different opinions, but I'm glad we use it because found this account, Hitler hated Christ. Really, really interesting. Uh, check out their, the pinned thread talking about all the different documentation about how Hitler was not a Christian, did not like Jesus, did not like Christianity, um, which it's it's funny that you have to say that, you have to prove that, but there's a lot of bad information out there that comes from atheists and, and even Christians too. And so I'm really excited that person running this account is here this morning to speak with us. How, how are you doing today? Doing good, doing good. Thanks for, uh, yeah. thanks for having me on. For sure. Um, so people who maybe aren't familiar with you, maybe if you want to just kind of start at the beginning, like what prompted you to start put, compiling all this information about how Adolf Hitler was not a uh, Christian? Yeah, so um, there's probably two different main reasons. Um, the first one was just my me and my wife are involved in like local politics in the area of texas that we live and we have been for quite a little while and during that time we encounter a lot of different people of, of political beliefs on the right more dissident more moderate all along that spectrum and um, we kept encountering kind of a series of young guys either online or also in person who were um, either raised christian or converted to christianity who held a lot of like uh hyper-racialistic right-wing views. Um, and we're trying to reconcile this with the sort of traditional lifestyle with Christianity that they were also trying to live. And so we, we you know, started seeing memes pop up of people sending us things of things like public quotations from Hitler affirming that he was, um, you know, that, that the Germany was a Christian nation, um, that they wanted to like um, help Christendom and things like that. And so we, you know, my wife and I, we've been, talking about this for years and years and years. And then one day I was like, you know, I'm tired of, you know, just trying to argue this for the moment. Why don't I sit down? I'll actually like look at some of the literature over this stuff and try to compile like a Twitter thread. Cause those were really popular when I made mine um, of just all my different points that I could come up with having to do with Hitler's religious beliefs. Um, and so that's, that's how it got started on that side of things. And also we had some left-leaning friends too who were more atheistic that I knew in college um, that would always bring up Hitler as an example of somebody who was um, a reason we shouldn't have a state that's based on Christian morality, right? That that was actually Nazi Germany and that's how they operated. And so uh, funnily enough, a lot of the, the research that I've done into this topic, the people that disagree with me are, are actually um, left-wing atheistic Jews 
or they are white nationalists. There isn't really like another in between. Everybody else um, in the middle on, or, or on either side of the spectrum, not as far, um, is is more comfortable with uh, with my position that Hitler, you know, actually hated Jesus Christ and the things that he taught. Um, but I wanted to fill a fill a gap on the historical knowledge that I that I saw was growing, and uh, and that was the the point behind creating the thread in the first place. Yeah, that's that's interesting. When I first started digging into this question, because uh, I actually have written on this as well. And when I first started digging into it, it was almost all because atheists were basically saying, look at, you know, if Christians point out like, Hey, Stalin was an atheist and not a great guy. Um, well, they'll say, well, Hitler was a devout Christian and not a great guy. <laughs> and, um, that's often a response. So I kind of dug into it. I was like, is that true? And like, I started looking into it and um, you're right. Like there's a couple of public statements, several public statements where he sounds very Christian. He's like, ah, Germany, Christian nation or whatever. But then you get into like what his personal views are, whether they're statements from Goebbels or Albert Spears, you know, his inner circle of friends and, um, and confidence or his own statements as found in table talk or his propaganda department of the statements that they made around um, Christianity, the place of Jesus within society, the history of Germany, etc. And it's clear that this dude not only was not a Christian, but like despised Christianity. It was, it was something he wanted to destroy completely. And the only reason he didn't was because they were in the middle of a war and he didn't want a war internally with the church at the same time he's fighting, you know, against, against the Russians. Right. Yeah, that's exactly correct. It's a, it was more of a tactical move. I do think that um, perhaps a younger Hitler might've not um, had the, the level of disdain that he did, but it's also worth considering that the, 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 the philosophy and worldview that Hitler was operating with um, during this period of the 20th century um, just wasn't compatible with Christian uh, beliefs on things like loving your neighbor, um, turning the other cheek, certain things that Christ preaches on Sermon on the Mount. Um, and I mean, Hitler even says this. I mean, like there's there's a quotation for Rosenberg where, where Hitler says um, Christianity is Jewish in its entire essence, a religion that proceeds from the principle one should love his enemies, may not kill and must offer his left cheek when struck on the right one is not suitable for a manly doctrine of defending one's fatherland. And he goes on to say Christianity is a doctrine of decay. So there's, it's more than even just a tactical thing why he um, said he liked it publicly. The reason he despised it was because he was just fundamentally opposed to it philosophically. And the more you read about the proto-Nazis and sort of the, their views on things with a lot of the Nietzschean stuff involved, um, it becomes to become more clear that these are just not compatible ideologies and you just cannot make them function together yeah and um the nietzsche thing is very true where he you know hitler personally was a big fan of nietzsche i think visited his home or his you know his former home a couple times um and if you read nietzsche um especially beyond good and evil um he talks about the fact that um compassion and empathy are slave characteristics slave morality um and that uh, the superman you know the the ubermich um will 
rise above those and force his will on society. So that's a Nietzschean doctrine that the Nazis pretty much took whole hog, right? They completely accepted that doctrine um, as a whole. Yeah, that's exactly true. And I mean, those are the, those are the statements by, by Hitler too, where he, he attacks specifically the Catholic church. One of the interesting parts of putting this story together and talking to um, more dissident, you know, right-wing people about this mostly online has been um, the amount of the people that seem to hold these beliefs that Hitler was a good Christian or something like that, who are more traditional Catholics. And I don't think this actually has anything to do with um, traditional Catholicism because Catholicism is actually one of the clearest ones to make a case for that Hitler hated. Um, <laughs> oddly enough, which, but more which is, so is funny because he's that's often the one that people say that he is because he was baptized right. Catholic, he was a confirmed Catholic. By all accounts, he wasn't happy about having to be confirmed. You know, he was kind of unhappy when they his mom and dad forced him to. I think his mom, his, I think his dad was not christian in any significant way but his mom was fairly devout and she forced him to get confirmed but he wasn't happy about that but often people will say uh, you know hitler died a, a faithful catholic <laughs> which is very not true but yeah by suicide right a faithful catholic dying by suicide right. yeah exactly <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and did, uh, did if you, uh, not the catholic church make a treaty with uh nazi germany too i've always heard that thrown around yeah, so earlier on in the war, um, they, they had different um, encyclicals that were issued that, that they would not be involved politically in Germany. But then as the war progressed and it became more clear exactly what was going on in Germany, they were actually pretty public and more public than they have been um, in a lot of historical circumstances condemning the ideology behind Nazism. And the way that the Catholic Church does this is they issue these encyclicals um, to the country as a whole for all of the Catholics in those countries to read and distribute, but they very rarely directly attack the state. So like Midbrenner Sorg, which is the one that came later, where they actually um, refute Nazi ideology mainly, um, that one doesn't explicitly name Hitler or anything like that, but it's very obvious that that's what it's focusing on. And because it was distributed in in Germany and um, Catholics, you know, were widespread um, oppressed for distributing that. Um, some of them were killed. The printing presses that were producing that in Germany at the time were destroyed. And that's really when um, Hitler's vitriol toward the Catholic Church specifically started becoming a lot more apparent, at least in his private circles also. Um, I mean, he mocks the Eucharist specifically a few different times, um, calls uh yeah, it says it's simply dreadful that a religion has even ever been possible that eats its God in Holy Communion. That's a, that's a quote from 1940 from Rosenberg recording that. Um, and also, you know, attacking Christianity as a whole with all the other doctrines that we mentioned before. So I, I want to go back to, because you said the whole reason you started on this was there's, of course, the atheists who say that Hitler was Christian and therefore Christianity is bad. But then the right-wing people that you mentioned that people who are coming to christianity but have kind of uh different racist ideas that they they bring into christianity with it i want to go back to that but let's talk a little bit more uh about hitler when you were you said you were exploring and and i saw some of your back and forth on twitter people mentioning like well here you know when when hitler was a young artist he was drawing pictures of churches and and they show the paintings whatever Hat, did he always hate Christianity? Did that? Did I mean? Have you? Is there enough information out there to just kind of see his hatred of Christianity evolve into what it became during World War II? 
Yeah, good question. So um, as a young man, we don't really have a lot of um, information on specifically his religious beliefs. We have a few different things that he was like uninterested in the mass. Um, I believe that it's also, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, I have my little thing pulled up here that sometimes I consult when I'm doing this. I mean, he said as a young man, he's horrified by the ceremonial nonsense of the mass. Um, as a as a child, they had a different people testimony, uh, give testimony that he was totally uninterested in the Catholic Church. Um, he even also, I believe Hitler himself says that um, like him and all his schoolmates also um, completely fell away from the faith during their teenage years as well. Uh, so we don't have a ton of information. I, I do think it's funny, though, when it comes to the the artistic stuff that Hitler did with the, the painting of Mary and things like that. I mean, you can go to art schools in the United States today and find people who are extremely atheistic doing art, uh, the architectural paintings of um, cathedrals or even, you know, statues of Mary and things like that. Right. So that, that's kind of a silly misnomer that, that people have been tossing around, but I'm less concerned with his beliefs as a child as, as what they actually matured into when he was really the forefront of the German ideology during, during the period that he was a Fuhrer. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So let's, let's go to that. Um, so he uh, obviously is not, like you said, the stuff that Jesus preached, Sermon on the Mount, like turn the other cheek, all these things are not part of his ideology. It's not part of his strategy to bring Germany from the brink to this awesome civilization that he's going to build through it. So like, what were the thing, the biggest gripes that Hitler had with Christianity? Uh, really just the weakness uh, or what he perceived as weakness of character in the sense of, like I mentioned before, turning the other cheek. Um, he didn't think that it was a morality for, I guess, what, like the Ubermensch idea of, of the, the heroic German that he envisioned. I mean, he says specifically, and Goebbels records this, that there's an insoluble contradiction between the Christian and German heroic, um, German heroic worldview. So he recognizes this, uh, that this is a problem. And he even goes on to say in that same entry by Goebbels in 41, that you know, I see a possible solution only in the further consolidate, um, consolidation of the National Socialist worldview. Um, so he, he sort of viewed those as on a inevitable conflict, like that they were eventually going to um, collide and be an issue. And you saw some of this in the later stages of the war um, and, and, and various times in Germany. Um, earlier on, things like um, the crucifix decrees, where they were replacing crucifix symbolism in churches and schools with not, um, Nazi imagery and all that. But it really was, was mostly around the, the sort of Christianity that Christ himself preached. And that's one of the reasons I made my account focused and named Hitler hated Christ was that it wasn't that Hitler despised the institution of the church, which is one of the other contingencies that people hold. It's that he actually had disdain for Christ's character himself, like the biblical gospel understanding of what Christ propagated and thought men should live like he did not like that, right? And you can't separate Christ himself uh, being the embodiment of those principles um, from the rest of that. And he, and he despised it. Yeah. And um, it's interesting um, when I think of kind of how this is relevant, because, I mean, there was a time 
five years ago or whatever. Like I said, where the only people trying to like link Hitler to Christianity were people that hated Christianity, right? So it was kind of Hitler in our society is like the picture of evil, the picture of the devil, and therefore people wanted to link him to their to their enemies, right? What I find is interesting in today's conversation is that with the rise of Christian nationalism, which I actually have affinity towards, and Lucas and I have talked about this in the past, and um, I'm, I don't, I don't view it as this boogeyman that gets gets bandied around. But with the rise of that, there's also been a simultaneous kind of um, renewal of Hitler, of like, hey, maybe Hitler wasn't so bad, right? And um, we're hearing, you know, voices from people that don't hate Christianity, people that, like you said, show up to church and people that generally speaking are kind of on the Christian side of things. And there all of a sudden there's like this rebirth of, Hey, maybe Hitler wasn't a bad guy. And one of the things that I think is important about your arguments and um, I'd love to hear your take on it, but um, I don't, you know, as I listen to you, you're someone that's not, you're not like a, Democrat attacking Christian nationalists or a Democrat bringing like you're bringing this up. And the same reason I bring it up is like, we, if we're going to be Christian nationalists, if we're going to assert a Christian identity over our country, Hitler is like the last place in the world we'd want to start because he was not on our side. He was not in our camp and you know, wherever, wherever we're going to start, it shouldn't be with him. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. And I mean, I, I would I would also define myself as a Christian nationalist, you know, probably big C, lowercase n, right? Um, and so that kind of, well, your, your point there about people sort of smuggling in these other ideologies into that movement is absolutely correct. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that lots of lots of people on the right have a vested interest in the Christian nationalist um, verbiage and the optics of that, at least internally on the right. And they want to be able to carry in a lot of this other baggage of ideologies that they probably held before the Christian nationalism term was even thrown around that much. Um, and and it's, it's sort of subtle depending on what level you, um, you deal with this. I mean, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the term kinism. You guys know what that means? Yeah, yeah. But maybe define it for anybody that doesn't, doesn't know. Yeah, for sure. So, so kinism, and, and this is maybe a horrible definition. So, if you have a better one, you can correct me. But um, essentially, kinism have existed for a long time, and their belief is that um, your moral responsibility, um, and or not just responsibility, but your love, Christian love, um, extends to the rest of your nation at a higher priority than your Christian love to anyone else, and they define those nations as your genetic um, closeness, right? And so, uh, there's also um, some. But, Go ahead. Uh, I, I, I know there are arcanists that would push back on that particular definition. Instead of nation, they would say family. So they would say that I'm morally obligated to extend my Christian love to my uh, familial relations before my other neighbors, whatever. But but it, they but there are kinists that apply that to a national identity as well. Okay, you, you are you are right. You can you can you can take it on a on a smaller scale if you want to. Um, at least the dialogue that I've seen um, from people like Wolf and some of these other guys of uh, having to do with kinism and the accusations that are levied are always focused around the idea of the nation being an extension of the family, and then the thing 
that um, that extend from there. Um, th- those are I, I don't really have big beef with a lot of those guys, frankly. I mean, um, I think that that's you can argue for that position biblically. I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily hold it because I think that um, there's a, there's a lot of biblical evidence for for universal love, even though there is also evidence for an increased responsibility um, for your kin. Um, but but most of the the people that are going to be openly um, advocating that Hitler was misunderstood and was actually like a good Christian that we should be revering and things like that are going to be more of your dissident right further than that. And um, there's a few examples of these people online that you you may run across them, but sometimes it's subtle things um, calling out or or claiming that um, our you know grandparents who fought in World War II did so in vain um, and just look around you now, look how horrible the United States is, right? And that Hitler was trying to stop this. And you can see that clearly by the people that he was trying to fight. Um, again, as if history, as if the same groups of people that existed in the 20s and the 30s when all that was rising up still exist now, right? Um, so it's just this kind of, you know, ideology that seems to be trapped in the 20th century. And with, especially with young men looking for something to latch on to, um, to be able to feel like they belong in a community and things like that. This has offered itself um, up as an alternative to something they see as the weakness of modern Christianity. Sure, definitely. What's been really interesting, too, following you, it seems like most of your critics on the right um, are confessional Lutherans, too. I don't want to pick on I, I don't like picking on denominations, whatever, but I have noticed, like, you go look at their bio, it's confessional lutheran um which i I, lutherans are very broad like there's a lot of very liberal uber liberal like lutherans out there but more often than not i've noticed like the people who uh, are professing christians in your mentions going at you are are lutheran have you made any distinctions between with those right-wing detractors so I've noticed that, and that's that's actually something that's a little bit newer um, over the lifespan of my account that I've noticed. And I mean, um, there, there's some. I think most of them are orbiters of this guy named Patrick Casey, who is a um, a white nationalist that has been um, around for a long time, um, founded and ran some groups like Identity Europa, as well as Identity um, our American Identity Movement, and some stuff like that. Um, but I, I'm not exactly sure why the Lutheranism component. I don't know if there's some type of historical branch from that 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 um, that makes them feel confident in the, the compatibility of the Nazism and their Christian beliefs, their acclaimed Christian beliefs, um, given the historical, um, you know, faith of Protestants in Germany being Lutheran. Um, my biggest, I guess, conversation with those types of people lately has actually been over the topic of forgiveness and some other components of the gospel, because you don't ever just change your opinion on something in history that has moral implications without it also changing your your theology. And so I've seen a lot of these types of um, white nationalist guys over time begin to degrade things in terms of like their doctrine of the atonement, um, their, their idea behind um, when we should forgive others, um, what it means to like deserve forgiveness as if, you know, that's something that's, that we understand as Christians. Um, and so I think most of my interactions with him have been in that regard, but I'm not really sure why they're specifically Lutherans other than the historical connection to Protestantism in Germany. Gotcha. Um, let's go back to, if you don't mind, so you're you guys are you and your wife are sharing the gospel and you have some people who are coming 
into the faith for the first time and and kind of bring some of the more i guess a, a racist ideology whatever into it and finding this affinity with the idea that hitler was a christian um can maybe take us through like some of those first interactions like were you kind of shocked at at how that was happening and then how you guys were initially trying to address it yeah so i mean it's been it's been years and years now we've been we've been talking to people in these circles for a very very long time and again a lot of it's online but some of them are also local with us i think um the biggest thing that I was left with as an impression, and this is actually less of a critique the, of, of the people themselves as it is the way that we handle information and distribute it and teach people about history, is that I was very much unequipped to counter these things when I initially encountered them. Um, just because no one makes an effort to really give a strong case against Nazism, right? When you're growing up or when you're learning history, because it's just sort of an assumed thing based upon, you know, we, we understand the Holocaust was bad. We all agree the Holocaust happens. Therefore, um, you know, we're going to all view um, Nazi Germany through this specific lens. And so I felt for a while, you know, when I was having these arguments that I was actually getting beaten up pretty bad because I did not have the historical context and the understanding to be able to contend for a while. And I was just not equipped with that. And so as these ideologies have arisen, you know, and, and I have over time um, through prayer and also study and things like that, equipped myself to deal with people in these scenarios and help, you know, to counsel them. Um, I really recommend other people try to look into the same thing so they won't be caught so off guard. And that's, you know, one of the main reasons I made my pin thread. And I've had lots of people message me and say, hey, like, you know, my son um, has gotten really into this. We have no idea why he was raised as like a really good, you know, Baptist Protestant kid. And now he went off to college and met these guys and he's a white nationalist and he's always talking about how he loves Hitler. Right. And, and like, thank you so much for sit for, for your thread because I've been able to, um, to have these conversations with him and, and I'm not like losing these arguments with him anymore. Right. Um, and it's not that we want to be, you know, hyper contentious necessarily, but a lot of these people did get argued into these positions and, and some of them can be argued out of them, right? Not all of them, um, but it is possible. And I've, I've seen it happen in real time. Yeah. And awesome. I, I think there is an element of the whole pro Hitler thing that is a little bit just punk rock. Right. So like almost like everybody universally condemns Hitler. Right. So it's the most basic thing in the world. Hitler, you know, bad guy, blah, blah, blah. And just to come out and say, hey, I like him. You know, I like, I think he's a good guy. There is a punk rock element to that, that almost like there's a part of me that's like, oh, I see that it's, there's something kind of cool about just saying something that nobody else would say. And some, like, I kind of get that. And I, I understand how like young men would be attracted to that and find that to be um, something that would be funny or fun or cool to say. And, for those people, like, there's a part of me that's like, okay, you know, whatever. Like, I don't care if you want to say that. That's totally, you know. Be the I, ultimate I, contrarian. Right. Yeah, I kind of get that on some level. But at the same time, like, to get back to my serious point earlier, is like, if we as Christians kind of need to rebuild our Western society, which I think we do, rebuild our our Christian identity, that's not the place to start, right? Like, so it's if you want to be a a contrarian or whatever okay but like I, I do think the work that you're doing and the the things that we're talking about 
are important for everyone to keep in their mind is that, you know, you can be contrarian all you want, but just recognize this dude hated Christianity. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I would say too, I mean, one of the things that, that a lot of folks do, which I think is wrong or incorrect is discount Nazism at face value and not actually attempt to counter it based on it. Just, you know, it's just being so obvious, right. That it's wrong. And I, I will say that like, the, the case made by a lot of these white nationalists is, is much stronger than they're given credit for. And because we don't, we, we're afraid to say that socially, we don't equip ourselves to be able to have those conversations, especially as Christians. And I can say, I mean, um, there, I could completely understand the draw as a young man who's, who's very conservative on a lot of different things, um, which we can go into more depth later. Um, I could have seen myself go down that path very easily. And there are points in my life where that is extremely attractive. Um, but, but what always brought me back to the fold were the words of Jesus in the gospel and how contradictory his nature is when you read scripture um, to those worldviews. And if you don't have that grounding or your priorities are confused and you value Christ less than you value that political expediency or that edginess that you may enjoy, you're always going to be out or out of order and you're always going to be trying to reconcile things that are incompatible. Yeah. And I think you're exactly right that we have failed. So the, at least here in America, the Western Christianity, we have just taken for granted so many different things. Our doctrines are, yeah, like you said, Nazism is bad and everybody knows that. So then it, it because we don't shore that up with, the right ideas we, with the right evidence, we leave ourselves prey to the white nationalists and the art with the really tantalizing arguments that they make. Um, are, do you see like Western Christian, like this, this I think is one of our big problems in Western Christianity that we're so lackadaisical in our apologetics that we don't train our kids to you know learn all these different things that we've discerned to be true and have, have taken for granted. Like, is this, do you think is one of our big problems in Western Christianity that we're so, we, we just take so many things for granted or are there some other problems that we need to address too? What, what like what, you know, why these men are so vulnerable to these bad ideas to begin with? Yeah, really, really good question. I, I, I would say that's probably one of the top few um, issues that we have in terms of equipping people would be giving young people an apologetics understanding um, and, and a training. I mean, it, it's really important specifically, I feel like that young people in our modern age have, are equipped with the ability to have apologetic moral conversations with people and understanding like, you know, why, why we believe like divine command theory or the basis of natural law and things like that. So when we do come up against these ideologies and someone says, oh, you know, this is wrong because it, you know, it goes against nature. We can say, okay, well, what do you mean by that? Does it go against nature because God ordained nature and that's wrong? Or does it go against nature because nature is God? What do you mean by that? And being able to have those conversations is really important. And I find that most of my arguments with a lot of these white nationalists, they're not, they're not really historical um, disagreements, although on some level they are. Um, a lot of them are sometimes a, a fundamental disagreement about the, the nature of morality, where that originates from, um, and things like that. I mean, a lot of the, um, a lot of the Nazi types, white nationalist types, I mean, those aren't necessarily the same, but I'll combine them for this, this purpose. Um, 
tend to have a view of morality that it arises from humans, that the collective um, kin or group, however large, even if it's large enough to be a nation, um, are they define morality by the public opinion. And this is why a lot of them are populist and you get into a lot of weird rabbit holes with that kind of stuff. But if you've never encountered that before, you know, you could get into a conversation with someone like this and, and, and they would say, okay, well, say, I, you know, say I believe the Holocaust occurred, which some of these people don't, but say they did. Um, but that was the will of the people and it was ultimately good for the nation, right? We as Christians would say, well, that's irrelevant, right? Because it's immoral. But if you, don't, if you don't have the ability to speak to that at an apologetics level with the language to counter that sort of moral subjectivism, you're left defenseless. And so equipping, or equipping kids specifically with the ability to have those conversations is important. And that'll also serve them well in arguments with atheists and things like that as they grow older. Yeah, For and sure. I think there's also uh, the central message of Christianity, um, which surround, you know, surrounds the cross, surrounds Jesus Christ. Um, is a message that's in many ways counterintuitive, right? Paul says this foolishness to the to the nations, and it's this idea that it's better to be wronged than to wrong. It's better to be toward you know the cross ultimately is a picture. It's better to be tortured than to be the torturer. It's you know it's there's a strength in, I mean the ultimate picture of the cross is that Jesus won his victory in his lowest moment and his being overwhelmed by evil. And um, that concept of, you know, the, the, my, my strength is in my obedience to God and my, my faith in God. And it's not in guns and big muscles or whatever, you know, like that's not where my strength comes from. It's something, it's something that kind of breaks a lot of people's minds. And especially in a society where, you know, there, there's, I think we're more fractured than we've ever been in, in at least the United States where it's, it seems like we're almost civil war level. And that message of, as Hitler objected to turning the other cheek, um, and um, this kind of extreme forgiveness, um, this message of being willing to be wronged, um, and you know, embracing that suffering servant role is something that just does not strike a lot of people as a positive thing, right? Like, and just right. for a lot of people, it's um, something that they they want to get away from, and that's where the Nazis tried to redefine Christianity to be like this muscular kind of um, different religion. And I think I've seen even with interactions with you on online that, you know, some of the people you're interacting with, those are the objections they have. It's like, shouldn't forgive. You shouldn't back down. You shouldn't allow yourself to be pushed. You know, like, and there's, there's, it really does kind of have this theological element to it that maybe on some level like opens people up to find Hitler attractive, right? Like, that, so I, I don't know which way that ideology is flowing, but there's a certain affinity of ideologies between those two things. That's, that's absolutely correct. And I think, and I'm not, I'm not like a psychologist, so I don't try to like overanalyze people necessarily, but I do believe there is some influence depending on where you grew up and the denomination you were a part of, you know, um, in your family structure, you may not have an example of someone who is a truly 
godly masculine figure. You may not have that at all. And so oddly enough, what, what is also going on during all this is um, a lot of these types try to take the world's understanding of what makes a masculine man, what makes a good righteous man and figure out how that is compatible with Christ or figure out how that can be forced upon Christ. Um, you know, how could we make like Arnold Schwarzenegger or the guy that goes out and kills someone out of vengeance in the movies that's considered good? How do I make that compatible with, with the gospel? Right. And it's, then the fact of the matter is, is that's the, that's the wrong way of thinking about it. Like the gospel and, and Christ's character has to be your foundational understanding of the, the, of the perfect man. And from there, you can analyze different cultural um, memes and assumptions about masculinity. And this also comes at the same time that the culture at large on some level, also on the left, is demasculizing men is um, attempting to really cause um, people to question the veracity of any masculine characteristics, which is also wrong. And so you get this, this sort of strange thing where a lot of um, young men that are searching to see, you know, how, how, what does it look like to be a godly man are actually accepting some of um, the world's understanding of what that looks like rather than just appealing only to Christ. Um, I mean, this comes out, I mentioned the doctrine of forgiveness earlier, but I had a real long argument and conversation with, uh, um, what is it? Pedro, what's his name on hand Twitter. <laughs> he's pretty, he's pretty popular um, over whether or not it's morally righteous for someone to forgive someone who hurts a family member, right? Um, because he viewed this as weakness and capitulation culturally. Um, whereas as Christians, you know, I perceive it to be an extremely Christ-like thing to do. And if you don't have an example of someone who is a Christian godly man who um, exhibits the characteristic of forgiveness and all you ever see is forgiveness used as like another word for capitulation, it's understandable why you would um, be confused in that regard and why you may build a vision of who Jesus was that is perverse and contrary to the gospel. Yeah. And I was thinking specifically about that case. Uh, I think it was in Atlanta. This uh, teenager was at the mall with his girlfriend and then gets uh, shot really tragically gets shot and killed. And the parents um, were in the news talk about how they had forgiven their son's killer and i was really surprised like in that thread that story like there were a bunch of christians that were like this is this is morally reprehensible forgiving their their son's killers and it's like i i, you know, I don't want to be in that position to have a child of mine murdered and and be faced with that you know forgive those who hurt you but uh, but to, to say as a christian that forgiving your Forgiving them is morally reprehensible. I was really shocked by how that message was like, there was a lot of people right. that really liked and retweeted those, those ideas. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the exact tweet that um, Pedro Gonzalez sent out as a quote tweet of mine, which he made it deleted. I'm not sure <laughs> was um, it opens with, there's nothing Christian about forgiving someone who tries to murder your son, which is, <laughs> um, I can't think of another, like, I, I'm not sure if you wanted to misunderstand the gospel more that you could phrase it in such a succinct way. Um, what's, and your, so, uh, what's your response? Did you just put John 3.16 underneath? <laughs> yes. man, I mean, I, 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 I was a little bit more verbose than that for sure. But I mean, it's like, it's so, it's so clear that that's just wrong. Right. I mean, it's so obvious and, and I don't, 
what, part of you know part of what's confusing is I don't know at what level a lot of people that are writing the Christian nationalism label um, like Pedro and maybe some of these other guys um, if if they actually genuinely are um, believers and they just never were taught the like how the gospel is applicable or if they are totally just accepting the label for only optical purposes. I don't know, but I've seen more and more of that. And I think over time, there's going to be more of a distinction revealed in right-wing politics, especially between people who have genuine gospel-based worldviews and people that just want to have that label to be applicable, to be accepted in the right crowds. Right. And I think the, um, the, a lot of that comes down and you touched on this, like the teaching element to it, because the idea that Christians are just like pushovers and um, that our doctrine of forgiveness or our doctrine of the suffering servant somehow means that we are um, this weak brand of men that, you know, let women lead us or whatever Hitler used to say. Um, I think goes against everything we've seen from history, whether it's Charlemagne, Jesus himself, uh, King David, you know, going through all the great Christian kings of history, King Alfred, um, and all through modern day. Like, it obviously goes against those things. Those are men that loved Jesus and cared, knew the gospel and, and cared about these things. And yet they, they're, it's not inconsistent with manliness to forgive. It's not inconsistent with manliness to, um, to be willing to sacrifice yourself for the weak or even for your enemies to, to do the right thing. That's not inconsistent. As a matter of fact, it's, it is the picture of manliness. Um, and uh, you know, I think there's a lot of teaching that needs to take place there of, what does it look like to be? And last week we had um, Will from Renaissance, a man on our men on, um, and anybody listening should go back and check out that episode as well because it ties very well into this. Is that there's there is a manliness that is a Christian chivalrous um, strength that is cooler than any of these fake manliness. You know, it's cooler than the Nazi. Uh, Andrew Tate or Andrew Tate or any of that. like <laughs> they're real men. Like there's a there. This is the Christian masculine doctrine is a real man, um, but it's it's got depth that goes far beyond those surface level machismo um, kind of pictures of of manliness. So um, I think that's one of the problems is that because we're not teaching that within the church people are going elsewhere for that and they're finding it in uh, andrew tate or they're finding it in hitler or they're finding it in these other pictures of what it looks like to be a man and and um there is a christian picture of of masculinity that is a better picture it's it's a cooler thing so you know we might have to go back a little bit in time there might not be recent great examples but you know, um, look at some of the great Christian saints, some of the great Christian kings in history, and and you'll see what it looks like to be a a man. Right. I mean, I posted a thread a while ago with just a clip from a, a documentary called Free Burma Rangers. I'm not sure if you guys have seen this. Um, this is a, a Protestant guy from the U.S. He's actually from Texas like me. Um, he was a 
um, special operations military guy who founded a Christian relief organization in Burma called Free Burma Rangers. And they did some re uh, relief around the globe in Afghanistan and some other places, Iraq. And in this clip, he, you know, and, it, and this, is a, this is a group that's on the front lines. You know, he's killed, this guy's killed countless ISIS soldiers. They all carry ARs and military equipment and stuff, right? Um, and he, in, the, in these clips that I posted, um, a family that he had just helped who were fleeing ISIS um, get blown up by a car, uh, like a car bomb or a road bomb, um, a claymore or whatever. And he talks about that. He's like, I struggled so much because I was like, I want to go kill ISIS. I, you know, I hate them. I want to be vengeful. Um, I feel like this is, this is true righteousness. And he talks about how he had to pray and he had to, he had to um, really come to the conclusion of like, I have to, I have to forgive ISIS. Like that doesn't mean I'm not going to kill them when they are hurting other people. It doesn't mean that I'm going to let them get off scot-free, but I'm not going to harbor this sort of vengeful, uh, hatefulness in my heart um, toward them because they're deceived, lost people, right? And um, and to see this guy that's that's a extremely masculine figure say things like this, like we don't have a lot of examples of that, like in the modern day, and a lot of young men aren't exposed to that. Um, so definitely, if you haven't, you know, check out that that the documentary from Burma Rangers. I highly recommend it if you want a more modern example of what that looks like. Because because the fact of the matter is is holding holding grudges and and just living with this with this disdain for others that's that's very small people do that it's not a, it's not a masculine trait it's not a doesn't make you doesn't refine your character doesn't reveal goodness in you to live that way right um people who are very small inconsequential individuals that's how they live their life um, and that's not how christian men should be operating that's really i'll have to check that out but yeah and to your point yeah that's not it's not masculine to hold grudges. Like, you know, that's something my toddlers do. Like it's, it's not just distinctly masculine to, to, to hold grudges or anything like that. Um, so going back to your, when you're debating with the white nationalists, I was curious what your what you do when, and I, I feel like inevitably they go down the, you know, well, Hey, just look at the statistics, man. You know, if, if when they talk about, uh, black people, you know, 13% of the population, 60%, whatever of violent, or the, you know, they throw whatever statistics out there to say like, well, just, just looking at the basic facts, uh, you know, white people are, you know, God obviously made white people superior or whatever. Like what, what do you do when they, they start going down uh, that rabbit hole? Yeah. Good, great question. Um, so I usually try to undercover uncover, um, really the way they view um, people and why we do what we do, right? Because a lot, a lot of those, those claims that, that correlate things like your um, ethnic background to your uh, criminal behavior and things like that, those all come with the assumption of biological determinism. So they come with the assumption that we are essentially just meat machines that run genetic code and we act as if, um, you know, act by just reacting to our impulses and that we're essentially just animals. And that doesn't mean that, that people with different genetic backgrounds are gonna ha not have different propensities, but the real basic distinction is the understanding that we are not driven only by those distinctions. And it, when, you, when, you, when you talk to a lot of these guys and, you, and you, you have these conversations about that and say, well, you know what, like the view that your genetics makes you more or less sinful is not biblical. 
because then you're outside of this realm of, of understanding the responsibility for your own sin. And then there's more theological issues that come with that. So really discussing that, I mean, in terms of policy, um, I think it's, I think it's actually reasonable to assess different groups and on some level make policy according to their propensities and behaviors. Um, but when you are assessing individuals or even small groups of people, you have to understand that people do um, do not just live according to their own um, genetic impulses, that we do have um, the image of God within us that gives us value. And I believe also gives us the ability to make moral decisions outside of that. Um, so I'd say just in, in regards to those, try to dig deeper on, on what level they think that that works, uh, because that's another thing that people have been trying to reconcile in those groups is the biological determinism with the Christian worldview. And those are also pretty conflicting. No, that's awesome. Thank you. Um, I know, Lewis, you have a hard stop here at an hour. We we always try to shoot for an hour. Um, seldom do we make that, but um, I did want to ask. Well, one, we got 10 minutes to talk about time. Jews, if you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, one burning question that I did have. Uh, do you have a favorite um, success story? Is there like some, you know, maybe you don't want to name a name, but is there somebody that you talk to and just over time like helped to bring them out of this idea that Hitler was the you know the right type of Christianity and, and were able to bring them into a more gospel centric understanding of Christ yeah so um, I mean I can think of one or two guys that I know personally obviously I'm not going to name um, necessarily but uh, guys that have been back and forth between to what level they accept the white nationalist perspective. And, and uh, they are both of the guys that I'm thinking of are more traditional Catholics. And really what I was in those scenarios, what was successful and, and I've seen some fruit from have been really just asking them to go and, and talk to their priest about these topics. I mean, and, and same thing with Protestants, you know, go speak to your pastor. If you have anybody who is a spiritual authority in your life, uh, who's a male uh, who obviously would be a male if you're a male and you're an adult, <laughs> given your biblical spiritual authority. But anyway, um, go talk to this person. Ask them what they think about this. Don't don't ask them about all the historical stuff necessarily, but ask them how they view forgiveness, how they view um, these other ideologies. Do they think these are compatible? And really lean on those older generations. Because oddly enough, a lot of these guys that are looking for tradition and for wisdom of their elders they, they actually forego the process of consulting the living people who are older and have potentially thought about these things and are their spiritual authority. Um, so that, that's, that's another thing that I would say is for people who are in that scenario, um, try to get them connected with a spiritual uh, figure that they, um, that they respect and, and have these conversations with them. It is a little bit weird to go up and talk to your priest, you know, like, Hey, uh, um, how do you feel about uh, Nazism? Right. Um, <laughs> but the reality is, is some of these guys, you know, this is, this is not a new thing that people are having to think about this. I mean, like, you know, you have no idea what a lot of these guys went through and thought about in their twenties either. And so that's, that's my recommendation to them is to, to seek that out. Hey, can, can I ask, um, I know, I don't know if you were completely joking or not, but I do think it's relevant is obviously I think the 600 pound gorilla in the discussion here that we really haven't brought up and probably should have at the beginning was that um, kind of um, the, the question of Jewishness and Jewish influence on society. Um, the question of, you know, the concerns that Kanye West, for example, brought up. Um, and I think other people have echoed similar things. Um, what are your 
thoughts there and how does that play into kind of some of the discussions we're having? Yeah, great question. So I would say my, my biggest um, cause for concern with the JQ stuff, JQ question stuff is actually based around the atonement and responsibility for Christ's death. Um, I think that if you are, if you assess the, the Jewish influence stuff from a completely um, secular perspective and just spot, talk about it from that perspective, I don't, I'm not going to really have a lot of dispute with you. Um, but the problem is when you ask a lot of these types, um, if they believe Jewish people are, are more responsible for Christ's death um, than, than the world at large, or you are specifically as a sinner. Um, and they, a lot of them will tell you that they do believe that. And that, and that, again, goes back to a more fundamental disconnect on the understanding of the gospel, right? Because, you know, as a believer, I believe um, that my sin is the reason Christ died and my sin poured out on him is, is, is the reason for his death, right? Um, and, then, and then God raises him from the dead and he defeats, defeats Satan. But the, the fact is that the basis for why they, that people are, are very interested in the Jewish question um, may lie in a confusion around the atonement and, and there's not a lot of discussion about that but it's something that i've found yeah um i i think i agree with you on that um i do think that there's i think one of the things that is important though is like i do think there's it's okay to disagree with people on a religious perspective it's okay to say i don't I don't want an atheist running the school system or I don't want, and you know, t- 20 years ago when we had all the terrorism freak out, it was like, you know, I don't, I I'm concerned about the impact of Islamic thought on terror, on violence, et cetera. And so I, I don't think that just because people are Jewish that they get exempted from that question. I do think that religion impacts ideology and i do think that we can legitimately ask those questions is like what is the religious influence of this individual are these people or these this group of people what are their religious influences how does that affect how they think and i think it absolutely will affect how they think depending on that religion whether it's christianity judaism islam hinduism etc it absolutely will influence how they think and I think those concerns are legitimate concerns. I don't think that there's anything wrong with asking those questions. Um, and I don't think that puts you in the category of Hitler. And I think that's one of the problems I have with a lot of these discussions is that as soon as you're not – as soon as you delve into those religious questions – the left wants to put you in the Hitler camp. And frankly, some right people on the right are like, see, Hitler was right. You know, he agrees with me. <laughs> like, it's like, I, so I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. And maybe you completely disagree with me, but I don't, and I don't know enough about Kanye West and his views, et cetera, but um, to, to say whether he's right or wrong or whatever. But like, I do, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with discussing how religion impacts ideology. Yes, yeah. So I, I may have, uh, I might have not have uh, articulated myself well on that specifically. Um, I agree with you on that 100%. So I don't want anyone in this country um, to, um, I, I don't want non Christians to have power in the United States. 
that includes religious Jews. Anybody who denies Christ, I don't want them to have any state authority, just like I wouldn't want them to have spiritual authority. Uh, I was thinking, and most of the people I talk to about the JQ stuff, it, it gets wrapped up into the racial component. So that was mostly what I was addressing before. In terms of the religious component, yes, definitely. I mean, if your identity is not foundationally based in Christ and in, in his character and, and you have respect for that and, and that's where your morality originates, you, I, don't, I don't want you in a position of power, and that includes Jewish people. Now, I would say there is an interesting litmus test for this if you really want to you know, try to figure out what, where someone draws this line and distinction with Messianic Jews. Um, I have I have little to no issue with Messianic Jews in positions of power, given that they are authentically um, professing the Christian faith, right? Um, but there are certain people that would say even that Messianic Jews should not be in power or that they should not have influence because of their racial background, and that's that's where I also have some have some disagreements. Yeah, hundred percent agree with you there. We actually uh, last week I mentioned we had Will from Renaissance Men on. He is ethnically Jewish. He was raised Jewish and converted to Christianity, caused him deep divides within his family. It's a very sad story from his family perspective. Um, but yeah, the idea that, and I agree with you, it's terribly sad that there's Christians, supposed Christians out there that will reject someone like him that made a huge sacrifice to come to Christ because of his ethnicity. And I think that's sick. You know, that, that needs to be rejected um, as much as anything, because our identity has to be found in Jesus, not in how, you know whatever our ethnicity is, and that ties into the some of the racial stuff that you were talking about as well. No, I t- totally agree. So um, the, the the point about the atonement stuff, though, I would I would um, I would be careful, kind of around when you have these conversations with people about the Jewish question, because I've, I've had conversations with people before where I thought I was on the same page about, you know, um, I only want Christians in power and things like that, where it turned out after having longer format conversations with them, that the reason they believe that was because they, they thought it was a stopgap to prevent ethnically Jewish people from having power. Right. So it's really, it's really tricky and you really have to dig deep when having conversations with folks politically in the dissident circles, why they believe what they do and, and determine if, if, if they have sound doctrine and all the priorities are ordered correctly, theologically. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I see, I see we have a couple of people online. I don't know if any, if people have questions, by the way, we've got just a few minutes left here, but you guys are welcome yeah. to raise your hand if you'd like to, uh, to ask a question. Um, and, uh, then, uh, yeah, then we'll wrap, yeah, wrap things up shortly after that. If you uh, if you request to speak, uh, I can, I'll give you a mic. And if you want to ask a, a question, like Lewis said, um, otherwise, uh, like so, if people wanted to follow your work, obviously your Twitter account, your pin thread, like what, what any uh, last thoughts or, or things you'd want to point people to before we wrap up today. I mean, like that's that's essentially it. I mean, I got banned from Instagram because you can't post about Hitler at all on Instagram. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, my my uh, my pin thread is is uh, I think pretty comprehensive, and I'm I'm willing to defend pretty much any part of it. Um, insofar as you want to comment, and definitely willing to have any other spaces or conversations with anybody else that wants. Um, I I think that having a dialogue about this is is truly important, and um, also my DMs are open. So if uh, you guys have any questions or anybody wants to get contacted with me. Uh, at not underscore r underscore guy on on twitter 
Yeah, them banning you because of your account reminds me of the end of uh, um, Meet the Parents with Ben Stiller, where he says bomb on a plane, but he says it. I'm not going to, it's not like I have a bomb. I'm not going to bomb the plane. And they say, well, you can't say bomb on a plane. <laughs> and he says, I said, I'm, I'm not going to bomb the plane. Yeah, it's kind of like. Right, you know, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm not for Hitler. I'm against Hitler. Right. I, I can't imagine that the guy in India or whatever, they're paying, uh, you know, to, four dollars an hour to go through and, and uh, ban instagram accounts can understand the nuances of exactly what i was trying to do so <laughs> yeah exactly exactly wait all right um, thank you so much for coming on thanks everybody for joining us follow us on youtube or wherever you get your podcasts we'll have this recorded conversation to share like subscribe um anybody who has been following us for a while knows that I do a master thread after every episode. If there were things that our speaker talked about, you're like, oh, I'd be interested in like exploring that more, that clip of the guy talking about ISIS or some of the other resources that he's talked about. I'll include that in the master thread. Um, but I, otherwise, uh, anything else, Lewis, before we sign off here? So uh, Twitter handles real quick. I am Lewis U. Lewis spelled with a E. Um, you, and my substack is lewisungit.substack.com. Um, you can find out, read my stuff, and find out more information about me there. Also, just search Lewis Ungit. Return of the Dragon, and you'll find my book online, which is an awesome book that you will love. Um, and then uh, to follow uh, Lucas, his uh, Twitter handle is addicted to number two Grace. Um, so follow him on Twitter. And uh, yeah, um, thanks, uh, thanks for the discussion here. Um, this was a lot of fun and very interesting discussion. So thanks so much. Yeah, thank y'all for having me. God bless. All right. Thanks a lot. God bless everybody. Right. Bye. Bye-bye.